Thank you, Amy, for the reading. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here with us this morning. If you are a visitor or have or relatively new or just been tuning in, uh, we're at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we've been in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. We've been in these first five books of the Bible for the last two years. And as we are getting to this final close, right, and if you know the history of Israel or you know the history of all of this, this, God's people are just about to finally go into the land that God has promised them. This is the second generation. This is right on the doorstep. And Moses is giving to the people these final words and laws and admonitions, encouragement to the people of what they are to look like, the life that they are to live in the land that they are going, so that things will go well for them. And in this section in particular, it's really this call, and that's why we keep going back to Deuteronomy 6, at the beginning of these, just to remind ourselves of the context of all these laws. They are to love the Lord their God, and as they go into the land, they are going to be a holy and distinct people, and in that way, be a blessing to the nations by being a people who reflect who God is, by being a people who reflect God's laws and what he cares about. And as they are to go into this nation, Moses gives them this law about divorce and remarriage. And it's, I mean, at first read, it's a fairly, you know, confusing law. Like, what is going on here? Why would a certificate of divorce be needed? And it reads, right, that if a wife finds no favor because of a found indecency, right, it sounds very legally and very strange of like, sounds like you could almost come up with any reason within that. And there's long traditions within Jewish literature about that there are all types of different reasons that a man could come up with, where he says, you know what, I don't want to be married any longer to this woman for various things I found out about now. I would like to be divorced. I don't want her anymore. And Moses says, if this is what happens, write a certificate and, put her, and send her on her way. The next man who does marry her does the same thing, or if that man that she marries again dies, Moses says that first husband can't take her back. So you gotta be like, oh, what's going on? Like, why would Israel need this law? Like, what is, would be the intention of a law like this? And what must be happening amongst Israel and also in the land that they're going? And what's happening, which is actually, if we've just been reading the Pentateuch, we've seen this happening from Genesis onward. What's happening is that husbands are growing tired of their wives and are abandoning them. They're moving on. They decide, I no longer want to be married to this woman. I'm going to discard her and find a new woman. Or like Lamech in Genesis 3, or, or I'm just going to take multiple women. You know, this one no longer fulfills my needs. I'm just going to bring on more wives and more wives and more wives. You know, Jesus is asked about this particular passage in particular in the Gospel of Mark, where the Pharisees try to trip him up because he had been earlier just talking about how marriage is this one man and one woman for life type of thing. And he said, well, do you, don't, you don't think that a man can divorce his wife for whatever reason? And Jesus says, right, like, well, what did Moses instruct you? And they said, well, he said we had to give a certificate of marriage. And Jesus tells them that was because of your hard hearts. And you see the hard hearts of the husbands from Genesis onwards, that women are being treated like commodities. Women in the ancient world and unfortunately in the modern world in many cases are just being discarded. If a husband finds 
that she no longer is satisfied with this wife, discards her, and moves on. So the intention of the law that Moses is giving to the people is actually to protect the women in the society. That hardness of hearts, because of their hard hearts, is not a reference to the, the fact that they're just going to get divorced. Like Divorce is going to happen, so let's just make it easy for you. The hard heart that he's referring to is the hard heart of these men who grow hard, hard against their wives and decide that they want to move on. And the law then is saying, if a husband won't be faithful to his wife, then she will have the protection of the community of God. He has to put it in writing. If a husband wants to move on, if he wants to abandon his wife and his children, his responsibilities, put it in writing, give it to the community. Her reputation now will be secure. She will be able to marry again, and she will not have to be worried, worried about this man anymore, that he will show back up and take her or claim her or have rights over her that she's now going to be given over to the community to be cared for, and she's no longer going to be labeled an adulterer. Like, her reputation will be secure. And he can't just change his mind. So we really have this call then to God's people, then and today, in all of these ways, that God's people were going to be a people that will care and protect people, especially the vulnerable in society and in their midst. And in particular, women and children. That the God's people will be serious in how they reflect God's intentions for relationships, but also care for people and be honest about the effects of sin and point people to where their true hope really lies. They're going to be a people that are going to go into the land and they're going to take marriage very, very seriously because you can't avoid that reading the Pentateuch, that marriage is a serious institution given by God and it's good. But it's also going to take very seriously the call to care for and protect people in the midst of sin and its effects. A sober-minded perspective towards marriage. A sober-minded perspective that's going to see what God's intention is for humanity, what God's intention is for man and woman, but that's also going to have an understanding and an honesty about the realities of sin and not shirk those things and not hide from them, be honest about sin and its effect, and then also be honest and point to where hope truly lies for everybody. Divorce and marriage, remarriage, all these topics are incredibly difficult ones to broach. You can understand why Moses would need to have some laws around this or call God's people to this, because it is a hard topic for us, right? I mean, it's making us all a little uncomfortable as we talk about marriage and divorce, because it's so raw for so many of us. Everyone in this room has been affected by it, some much more intimately than others, some via generations. Many of us wouldn't exist without divorce and remarriage. Like, this is, in fact, just the realities of this world that we live in, but it's a difficult topic to be honest about. It's a difficult topic to talk about divorce. It's very difficult to talk about it because we do really, as a culture, hold up marriage as an ideal, and as a, really a standard, regardless of who you are, if you're religious or non-religious, I mean, marriage is still the gold standard. Like, I want to be married. I should have a good marriage, a happy marriage, a marriage that looks a certain way. And then when things go wrong, it feels like there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong. I could never achieve this, this goal anymore. And so the feelings of fear, of guilt, and shame can just be overwhelming, that with divorce so prevalent, and it's not like this is a 
odd occurrence in our culture, right? We know, I mean, this is a very regular occurrence, divorce. And it's a regular occurrence within the people of God, as much so, if not more so, than it is with, amongst the people outside of the people of God. Like, this is a regular experience. But the pain of it, it just, it hurts. It is really a painful thing to go through. It's a painful thing to walk alongside someone through. And there's all kinds of embarrassments and guilt and shame. And to try to deal with that, to try to deal with the problem of divorce in our culture and in our lives, you know, we've had a couple of responses. On the one hand, there's been a very strong conservative movement that's tried to deal with the problem of divorce that says we need to double down and really protect marriage. Marriage is under assault, so we're going to really come to marriage's defense and we're going to really hold on to it and push for it hard. And you can understand why that would be a good thing in many ways. But its fruit has been oftentimes the protection of marriage, but at the expense of the protection of women and children, at the expense of the actual protection of those who go through divorce. Because, again, in that effort to protect marriage or to work on marriage or these constant pictures of a good marriage, it creates this really bar or standard for Christians that a Christian is going to have a certain type of marriage, it's going to look a certain way, and be super secure. If you're a real follower of Jesus Christ, your marriage will be perfect, and you'll never go through something like divorce. If, you're, if you have enough faith, that will never happen to you. Those who go through divorce, well, they probably just were never really Christians, or they never did enough work. If they just would have put the work in enough, it would have worked out. And it, it creates this works righteousness, and it develops, again, it doesn't deal with the guilt and the shame. If anything, it produces it more and more, because it just feels like I could never coexist, I could never be in that place if things went south, or, or again, it creates within couples, especially in Christian conservative communities, a hesitancy to be honest about struggles, a hesitancy to be honest about sin, the need to mask and look like marriage is a certain thing, uh, because if we look like we are struggling with things, that's going to be a reflection of my righteousness, my faith, all of my... Th- I can't be honest in this type of place because marriage is so important. And it also makes it a difficult environment to, to live in or be a part of in a community where you're single then. If marriage is the litmus test of true Christians... What, what role, what room is there for someone who is single? What room is there for someone who is widowed? What room is there for somebody who is divorced and not remarried? It, it, it feels, again, and this has been, I mean, throughout the Pentateuch, but throughout all of the Scripture, this, those who are in and those who are out. Those who are outside of the camp, those who are inside the camp, those who are clean, those who are not clean. And it just it creates this feeling then that there's something wrong with those who can't keep together this perfect Christian marriage. The other response, right, and we see this within culture, the cultural response has really been to kind of to deal with divorce by trying to legitimize it and just make it no big deal. Hey, all right, fine, look, divorce happens, divorce happens. Everybody's getting divorced, okay, that's a normal thing. Let's just move on. No one's ever at fault when it comes to divorce, it just happens. It's just a natural process of things. These relationships just didn't work out, and we should just be free to move on, find somebody else, be amicable, be friendly, and just move on. 
but that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't actually, it isn't really true. It's much like the first one. You still put up this front. You still try to pre present yourself in a certain way, like nothing bothers you and everything's fine. But it isn't fine. Divorce isn't not a big deal. That doesn't make sense. But divorce is a big deal. It diminishes the good that marriage actually is as well. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage was a, is a real thing. For those of us who have been married or are married, right? It, it is good. It was good. It, it wasn't just some little thing that we entered into. And it also doesn't take children into account, this view that adults should just be able to be free to move about. and run. You know, the children within marriages didn't get to choose that or get to move on as freely as everybody else did. Uh, it, it, it has the appearance of avoiding suffering, of like, well, if I just don't make a big deal of it, I won't suffer, and it won't be hard on me. But it doesn't deal with, again, the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment and the hurts and the pains for the trauma that's been produced. Neither response does what Scripture is calling God's people to do, which is to help, to care for, and to protect. And when Jesus responds to these questions, Jesus responds to this topic of marriage and divorce, you know, he really does give a tremendous response because you know, by the time we get to the New Testament, these patterns have been so ingrained in Israel of being divorced. It was just incredibly common that you could just get divorced when you needed to get divorced. Men could do these things following this law. Again, that idea of like the law was never intended to save you know, and, then, and in fact, you can use the law to just do the very things that you wanted to do from the very beginning. And when Jesus comes, he really speaks to both groups, because there's two groups now that really have this view. One, that marriage is very temporary, and you should be able to just divorce freely. And then you have this other view of the Sadducees, which is much more marriage is eternal. Like, this is the greatest and only the biggest deal, and you'll be married throughout all eternity and in, into heaven. And so when they, they try to, both groups try to kind of trick Jesus or get Jesus trapped into those two camps of like, well, which one are you, Jesus? Do you think marriage is no big deal? Or do you think marriage is eternal? Jesus' response is pretty great. He says, look, marriage is good. Marriage was God's intention, is God's intention for humanity in this life. He made man, he made woman in Genesis. He made them to cling to one another, to leave their their father and mother, to become one flesh and to be married for life, and that's it. And outside of pornea, he says, this unfaithfulness, outside of that, there's no reason to be divorced. You should be married and stay married. He says marriage is good. But then against the other group, he says, but it's not eternal. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more marriage, which is shocking to that other. Both groups are equally shocked by Jesus. So you're saying, I can't just divorce my wife for whatever reason I want. And you're also saying, marriage is not the greatest chief good possible. This echoing, this, this emphasis then on marriage is good, but there's something greater that marriage ultimately points to. It's going to be echoed by the Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament as well. This idea that marriage is a good thing. It's a good thing to pursue. If you are married, be married. Love your spouse. If you want to be married, pursue marriage. It's a good thing. God has given this to you as a gift, and you should pursue it. But it's not the ultimate thing, Jesus says, and so does Paul. 
It's not the final good. And in fact, there will be a day when there will be no more marriage. Our hope, Jesus says, is in him, not in marriage. When Jesus speaks these words, he speaks these words to a people who have lots of misplaced hopes, to a people who have been looking for things and never finding them. You know, he speaks to women so many times throughout the Gospels, women who have been let down time and time again by husbands and by men. He speaks to a people who have been disappointed again and again and again. Because the problem for us as humans, and the problem throughout Scripture as it points to us, is that we put our hopes in things that we were never meant to put our hopes in. We put our hopes in things and we say to ourselves, if I have this, then I'll be right. If I have this, then I'll finally be happy. If I have this, I'll finally be complete. If I have this, I'll finally be worth something, or I'll matter, I'll be valuable. If I have this, I'll finally be a success. If I have this, I'll finally be accepted. And we just, we find whatever we think will make us complete and say, that's got to be it. And what's so hard is that we pick the greatest good thing we can find to put our hope in, because God graciously gives us good gifts. Human relationships, marriage is a good gift that God has given. It's the easiest and most straightforward thing for me to put all of my hope in because it is right in front of me and it feels good. I'm going to, this is it. If I can have a marriage, if I can have a good marriage, a happy marriage, I'll finally be fulfilled. It's the easiest thing for us to put our hopes in. And then it's the easiest thing, or the hardest thing, actually, the most painful thing when our hopes get disappointed by it. Because these things that we put our hope in, if it was marriage, if it was work, if it was in children, whatever it is, right, they were never meant to carry all of our hopes. A spouse was never meant to satisfy us and to make us happy. And then we deal with those disappointments, they always come out sideways in our lives. When the very thing, when the thing that I had the most hope in disappoints me, I get angry, I get bitter, I lash out, I transgress. The sins come out in all kinds of different ways, and I hurt the things and the people that have been put in front of me. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to these people, to us, to everyone, and says, look, everything you've been putting your hope in, everything you've been looking for, You've been looking in the wrong places. Are you tired? Are you disappointed? Are you hurt? Have you been let down time and time and time and time again by all of these things, by all of these men, by all of these, all of these, all of this? Saying, well, I've got good news. I'm the thing. I'm the one who you were meant to put your hope in the whole time. I'm here to fulfill all of those hopes. I'm the one you've truly been hoping for. And if you put your hope in me, Right? You'll never thirst again. Right? If you take a drink from me, right, you will never be thirsty again. I've put everything right. I've dealt with all of your mistakes, all of the hopes and the pains and the disappointments I've put right, and you can put your hope in me. And when it comes to marriage and divorce, I mean, nobody knows that pain more than Jesus Christ. The image throughout Scripture that God chooses to portray himself as 
is a spouse whose other spouse was adulterous. God gets it. Jesus knows this pain. He has experienced this pain, and he comes and he enters into a relationship with his people and says, you can put your hope and faith and trust in me. And for as a people of God then, this really does change things. If, if Israel was to really put their hope in the coming Savior, like Deuteronomy has been telling them, look, don't put your hope in the land that you're going into. Don't put your hope in these laws. Your hope is in the Lord, and your hope is in the Savior who is going to come and who will finally fulfill all of our hopes and our dreams, who will put an end to sin and death and suffering and usher us into this kingdom. If that's your hope, this kingdom that's to come, okay, it gives us this sober-mindedness And as Christians now, too, if I have my hope and my confidence in Jesus Christ rather than in marriage, it really frees us in so many ways to do the very things that God has called us to do. Because I think there's several things. If our hope and confidence is in Christ and not in our marriages, right, it actually sets us free to have better and more free relationships. For those of us who are in marriage, Right? And you know this, if, you're, if you are married, if you have your hope in your spouse, it does not go well for you. And in fact, you smother your spouse, and there's all kinds of bitterness and anger and resentment and disappointments, right? It, it doesn't work. The very thing that you are after, you will not find if you put your hope in your spouse and in your marriage. The more and more you work at it, the less and less you actually seem to be able to have it. And fear takes over, striving and control and grasping. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And I see marriage as a gift from God that he has given me, but a temporary gift from God that he has given me. I have a more light attitude and view towards my marriage that actually enables me to, act, to love my spouse in a real and genuine way without needing them to love me back or to fulfill me or to satisfy me. Because I have my satisfaction from Jesus Christ Now I get to love my spouse because this is my spouse that I get to love. I get to submit freely to my spouse because I trust Jesus. I get to love and cherish my spouse freely because my fulfillment is in Christ. I have this wellspring of love and strength to draw upon now. It produces, if your hope is not in your marriage, it produces a greater marriage. It's not what you expect, right? But that's with all things in life, right? We know this from golf swings to work to everything. The more you're trying, the less it's going to come. If my hope is in Jesus, our relationships get better. We are freed up to love and to cherish in our marriages and also in our remarriages, which is important within Deuteronomy. That's the expectation, right? That there's remarriage. It's not a one time you struck out and it's over scenario. God still has good for you. God can still reconcile. Just because the realities of sin and pain and disappointment, that's not it. You're not a disappointment. There is still good. And many of us, like myself, I'm a product of remarriage. I would not exist, right? God uses marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It's not his intention, but he will use what was meant for evil for good. Having our hope and our confidence in Christ frees us to have better relationships, to be more honest with one another. Having our hope and confidence in Jesus Christ rather than in marriage also enables us as a church to actually provide protection and care for those who are going through divorce. We can be honest 
we can actually call sin, sin. We don't have to defend the institution of marriage. We get to defend people. We get to come alongside people and care for and love them. Just like in Deuteronomy, that was the call, to come alongside these women whose men are abandoning them. Don't fight. We're not fighting to preserve an institution. We're fighting to care for and love people. We can be honest. We can be honest when our marriages are failing. We can be honest with our own sin. And we can be honest about the sins of our spouse and treat it accordingly. And within that, then, too, if our hope is in Christ, we also now have no more guilt or condemnation for those who have gone through divorce or just who have been abandoned or who have even done the abandoning. All things have been reconciled through Jesus Christ. There is nothing outside of his forgiveness and his grace. Divorce, widowhood, singleness, those are no longer our identities, nor is being married our identity, right? That's not who I am. Just because I am married doesn't mean that's who I am in Jesus Christ either. We have this other identity in Christ now. We are not damaged or lesser because of what we've experienced, because of the sins of others. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can become a community that actually loves and cares for one another. A community that can protect people, that can have that sober-mindedness around marriage, that can say, look, we understand and we can see marriage is good. Of course it's good. You can't not read scripture and discard marriage. It's Genesis on, God intended man and woman to come together in that union and to produce and to, uh, to care for the whole world, to be a blessing to the nations through marriage. I mean, marriage matters and is a good, great gift. We can also, though, be honest about sin and say, just like everything in this world, it's been corrupted by sin and the reality of sin is going to be in this, is going to be in this institution as well. We can be honest about sin and then we can also be honest about our hope and that our hope is ultimately in Christ and the coming kingdom of God which enables us to live wholehearted lives that are honest, enables us to live wholehearted lives that protect and care for others. When our hope is in Christ and not in marriage, we can actually live as people who have hope, who can be honest, who don't have to hide, but who could also say what needs to be said and walk alongside of the people who need to be walked alongside of. But again, until we come to that place where we see my hope has to be in Jesus Christ, our misplaced hopes will continue to, to bring us to that place of pain and hurt and disappointment and guilt and shame, where Christ gives us this new identity and this new hope as a community of God. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, we thank you that you have reconciled all things. Lord, we confess to you how often we take the very good gifts that you give us, that you intend for good, and we misuse them. Lord, that we put all of our hopes in them. Lord, and then we find ourselves disappointed. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and for your care for us. Lord, so often it's just so easy to to give up and to feel hurt and pain to the level where we just really feel that there is something wrong with us, that nothing will ever make things right, nothing will ever make us right. Lord, thank you, though, 
that through your gospel and through the cross, you have made us right. Lord, we pray that as a community of faith, you would strengthen us in our hope in the gospel that we can honestly see who we are in you and care and love for each other. Lord, that we can see your great love for us, that we can know and understand what that means, regardless of our station, if we are married, if we are single, if we are divorced, if we are remarried. Lord, that we can have hope and we can have strength in you, contentment knowing that you are our strength and our comfort, that you are with us, that you go before us. Lord, and that that kingdom is coming. One day, that true marriage is coming. Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us as a community to hold firm to you and to your word and to love and to care for the vulnerable in our midst. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.